2: We just spent an entire episode with Joe Goodberry talking about a bunch of free agents that maybe the Bengals should be looking to move on from or could be looking to move on from. And is that an opportunity to then change their philosophy about their personnel packages? We'll get into that and more in today's episode.
3: You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.
2: What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lisko. He's your host, James Rapine. Today we are once again joined by Joe Gabarius. We continue our early offseason topic series today, talking about an opportunity perhaps to change the way the Bengals run things, especially on the offensive side of the ball, but there are opportunities on defense as well. We'll also look at positional spending. And the outlook there, what clues that gives us about the Bengals' upcoming offseason. Today's episode, sponsored by Jace Medical. You can empower yourself when you purchase a Jace case, providing you a personal supply of five antibiotics. Get yours today at jacemedical.com and use promo code LOCKEDON to get $20 off your order. Again, that's J A S E Medical.com. And Joe, for the second time this week, I'm going to refer to a tweet that I made during the wildcard games. uh, Quote tweeting, Max Toscano. Max said... Referring to the Browns-Texans game at the time, both teams are getting into a ton of 13 personnel for the purpose of not running the ball, but throwing the ball, specifically two tight ends, like Brevin Jordan, for example. And I said, tired, best wide receiver trio in the league at the time, uh, referring to the Cincinnati Bengals, inspired, best tight end trio in the league. Uh, a potential opportunity this season with T. T Higgins and Tyler Boyd's free agency there for uh, a significant personnel shift on offense. What are your high-level thoughts hearing this for the first time?
1: I think it's correct. Number one, I I think that it's part of the ebbs and flows of offense versus defense in the NFL. When three wide receivers became a thing and very popularized, teams struggled to get enough corners to get out there and cover them. And then now everyone seems to have a good nickel or slot corner or the the good teams do at least. And taking him off the field is key. So you go with heavier tight ends or heavier offensive packages to get Mike Hilton off the field. I go directly Texans versus Browns. The Browns have three very good corners that they want to play man coverage with and with a single high safety, get one of those corners off the field. How put out their extra tight ends, go heavy, right? So if they want that corner to still stay on the field and play the run, he better be Mike Hilton playing the run. And even Mike Hilton's 5'8", 180 at, on his best days. like It's still an issue, even if he's a good run defender. So it's the ebbs and flows. Now you're going to see teams going heavy, and I think we saw it all year. We talked about this all season with teams that ran the ball, used play action, used their tight ends, uh, more condensed formations. They found ways to create explosive plays at a higher rate, and – we're looking at the Bengals. Well, you have the three best receivers in the league. You should be able to do this at the same level that these other teams do. When you're more stagnant, when you're the same personnel grouping, in previous years, 90% of the time. This year, I think it was 78%. They were uh, 11 personnel, but T was injured. So when, you're, when you are stagnant, though, it's easier to defend. And it's easier to be, to be more predictable. And I think that has plagued the Bengals a little bit. So, yeah, I think we're leading into that. They have an opportunity at hand to be different.
0: Is that path tight end only? Do you see other ways to do that? We talked about running back on yesterday's episode about having three different guys that can do a little bit of everything versus Mixon is this type of back and he's going to be on the field for these plays. Travion Williams is a pass blocker. Chase Brown is kind of our explosive guy that we throw screens to. Is it just tight end? And if so, what should fans be looking for at tight end? Or what could the Bengals be looking for at tight end this offseason?
1: No, I, I do think it's all the positions, even wide receiver. And we talked, we mentioned getting faster and, and having a speed slot. I think having Charlie yeah. Jones run a 4-3 running clear-out routes uh, is much better than Tyler Boyd running a 4-6 running clear-out routes, right? You can do different things off of that. Uh, so running back as well, the committee approach, having guys that can do more so you're not as predictable. Again, we want to limit how predictable you are in offense. So we got if, you, if they get to the point where they have three different guys that can do different things, that helps. The offensive line as well. Can you be a more physical run team uh, uh, up front at the point of attack? Can you also be more athletic and do more things and get out on these screens, get out to the wide zone, uh, get to these reach blocks that you need to hit to seal off the edge? So, yeah, it's it's all of these things they that they've struggled with are areas where they have almost neglected in the draft, you know, to find the athletic offensive lineman, to find the correct running back to pair with Joe Mixon and maybe now supplant Joe Mixon, to find a high-level tight end Uh, talent tight end and to get more speed on offense all of these things are still needs but now more of a need maybe a necessity there's an opportunity as well with
2: the changes that are inevitable you have starting positions up on offense we're going to talk about defense too I don't think this is strictly on the offensive side of the ball but I wonder how much of that personnel approach is a product of the guys that the Bengals prioritize drafting. Zach Taylor inherited a team with Tyler Boyd and nothing, a wide receiver. They draft Joe Burrow and T. Higgins. That could be the core, but then Joe Burrow gets hurt and you're picking at the top of the draft again. You have the opportunity to get a very special talent in Jamar Chase. And so you're like, okay, Jamar Chase, connection with Joe Burrow, really high-level player. Well, I guess we're going to do that too. And now you've got three wide receivers and then you build your team around that while you have those guys. But I wonder how much of it is we have those guys so that's how we're going to go versus that's what they want to do. I really do because we know I think the last couple of years they wanted a tight end in the draft. They didn't want a tight end in the draft enough to spend an extra asset to move up and get one or to reach according to what they felt their draft board was on a tight end. They didn't force it. But I wonder how much of it is a product of the the kind of natural way the team came together versus a preference from this coaching staff.
1: Yeah, because you have to do both, right? If you, if you somehow found a fourth receiver that you drafted in the sixth round, let's say, let's say Yoshi was Puka Nakua as a rookie, right? Well, now I've got to try and have more four wide receiver sets because he's that good that I let's get this guy on the field. So that is coaching. You use your best players to their strengths and make your team as good as possible. They've done that. They've done exactly that on offense, given uh, what they've had given the dearth of talent. I mean, they made CJ Uzama into a highly paid tight end. Hayden Hurst mm-hmm. got the same thing a year later. They have found a way to say, hey, this is our personnel grouping. This is how we'll be best uh, suited for on offense. Let's do it. Let's play to that strength. I, and, and this goes to the conversation of tight end because I think people say, well, they won't use a tight end or they don't use a tight end. They threw 115 balls to the worst tight end group in the league heading into last year. Uh, and they may still be, I mean, there's no one on the roster right now. So technically they are the worst tight end group in the league. But <laughs> if that was a Sam LaPorta or whoever, if they would have drafted, if it is Brock Bowers at 18, you don't think they'll use him. You don't think quickly he would be the number three option. You don't think in a year when they lose T, they he would be the number two option and the whole offense would look completely different. And it'd be combo routes between Brock Bowers and Jamar Chase. It would or else you're, in, you're an inept coaching staff. And I don't think they are. I think they use their players to the correct way they should be used. Let's let's
0: discuss that more on the coaches, potential changes, what could happen, how willing they are to change uh, as we roll on coming up next.
2: The next segment of Lockdown Bengals is brought to you by our sponsor, BetterHelp. Sometimes we all need the opportunity to get something off our chest, whether it's big or small, doesn't matter. Certain things can really start to get to you, and it's important to let that out and have an unbiased, objective perspective on your life. So today, I'm going to tell you about how I really feel about something. Might even be thinking about the same thing this week, as the Bengals are forced to watch the playoffs from home, and we're forced to watch these other AFC AFC North teams compete. Not a whole lot of fun. Maybe what's going on with you is a little bit more personal. Well, therapy is there for you, and it's different for everyone, most of us have bigger problems than the Cincinnati Bengals not being in the playoffs, and it's important to be able to get things off your chest every once in a while. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's flexible, suited to your schedule. Visit betterhelp.com lockdown to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash
0: Today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks. PrizePix Picks is daily fantasy the way it should be, because you don't have to go against all these pros and sharks and thousands of other players. With prize picks, it's you versus the prize picks projections. All you do is pick more than or less than on two to six stat projections and watch the winnings roll in. You can win up to 25 times your money with prize picks. So maybe you think that Jordan Love is going to continue to keep things sizzling in Green Bay going up against the San Francisco 49ers in the divisional round. Well, you can say he's going to throw for more than his prize picks projection for passing yards or more than his prize picks projection for passing touchdowns. You can do that. You could go with Brock Purdy, Christian McCaffrey, you tie them all together. You can even tie sports together, NFL and NBA with prize picks. So don't delay. Go to prize picks today at prizepicks.com/slash locked on NFL to get a first deposit match up to $100. Again, go to pricepix.com slash locked on NFL and use code locked on NFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, pricepix.com slash locked on NFL with code locked on NFL for a first deposit match up to $100. All right, Joe, let's stick with the the coaching element here because I I think it's a big one, and I, I think that there are people that just assume that this is how it's going to be, and Joe Burrow is going to run empty and Zach Taylor is going to want three receivers on the field all the time and not value tight end because they haven't drafted one since Drew Sample and that's it it doesn't feel like you feel that way why
1: well number one they did draft Drew Sample in round two right nobody told them to do that they did that on their own that was
2: their own valuation
1: of tight <laughs> and end. that's and
2: they, why they've never drafted a tight right. end early see?
1: see right that's probably what it is and then by so the way
0: Drew Sample's a good player, just, just throwing that out there. Not a second-round player, but he, he's a good player. He's fun.
1: This, that's a part of a larger and different discussion of once you get past that second-round pick, that first four-year contract, all right, what is he and what does he do well? Let's stop trying to make him do other things and let him be who Drew Sample always was, and he was this year, and it was his best year. So, uh, again, that's the team using players to their strengths, right? Talk about Tanner Hudson. Hudson only lined up in line 26% of the time last year. He was in the slot. He was out wide. They used him like a big slot receiver uh, again to his strengths. So I do believe if the right players are in there, they would adjust adjust a little bit. I do think the the this really caught flame, though, this whole idea when Browning got in inserted. Right. And that first week it was here's Browning into the Joe Burrow offense. And then for the next month, it was, oh, this is different. Oh, here's some screens. Finally. Like I have clearly called them plenty of times the worst screen team in the league for the last three years. And all of a sudden they're getting explosives at a crazy rate and they're throwing screens at a high rate. And then they are a lot more play action under center, all of these things that people clamored for uh, the whole time with Joe Burrow, because I mean, that's how they've had a highly successful offense with Joe Burrow running from empty and doing what they do with Burrow with three wide receiver sets. But then when it doesn't work for a couple of weeks, we need we demand change. But there is some middle ground there. They do need to merge both of these, get Burrow a little more easier throws and targets and explosive plays where he doesn't have to carry the team and you can just dump it off to Chase Brown and he rips it for 50 yards. That would be great and benefit everyone. And I think they did see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. I think Joe Burrow even said it in his uh, postseason yeah. press conference saying, like, we did find a way to get some explosives. And he mentioned that and how – how beneficial it was to the offense. I think he sees it as well.
2: You mentioned early in the season, you were you were on the more critical side of the Bengals coaching staff for not being more prepared for the limited Joe Burrow. That being said, I personally fully believe that the offense we saw with Jake Browning would have been very similar with the key difference being less empty because Browning clearly not comfortable and empty the way Joe Burrow is comfortable and mm-hmm. empty would have been the offense they would have run with Joe Burrow, if not for that injury this year. They only got a few healthy games with him. You go back and look at those healthy games. It's kind of hard to tell what it would have been for the remainder of the season, because they are such a week to week offense. And you even saw that with Browning. You saw them make changes in the kinds of running plays. They called the kinds of screens. They called the kind of passing concepts. They called. They tried to take advantage of weaknesses that they, think will work that's why some weeks they run a lot of early toss plays and they don't work so do you think that do you buy i guess when Zach Taylor says how ah, the offense we ran with Jake wasn't too different and different than the offense we ran with Joe that's been overstated do you do you believe it
1: i actually went back and looked at some of my episodes and tweets from august when i went down to camp uh exactly. and because that's what our expectations were right and that you uh, you're you're not, you're not wrong and I was like, yeah, look at all the play action they're doing with Burrow. Now, Burrow was hurt then, but I went and looked at even before he was hurt, you know, and then mini camps and stuff. And it, like every clip we got was play action or some type of RPO. Uh, him under center much more. And it was like, yeah, I, I do think this was it. And clearly, when he had the calf issue, they could not have him drop back from under center. It just was not an option. They went 99.9% of their snaps from shotgun for that very reason, which means you're playbook is now cut in half or you're trying to piece parts of it together to get it to work uh you know try and get the same concept we would have run from under center play action but now we're going to do it from from shotgun and see if it works and and you know they had mixed results overall so i do believe they were on the right track uh this this has never been a team and i get some of these comments on twitter a lot and you guys probably do as well from fans that say well zach's stubborn and he won't do this and he won't change this and it seems the exact opposite from my vantage point. I think they do whatever works and they don't care where they get the idea from. They don't care where they get the concept from. They steal stuff from around the league all the time. And they try and implement it as best as they possibly can. I don't know. I feel like with a healthy Burrow, the conversation for the offense is completely different from a coaching standpoint. But on the other hand, Brian Kalen's getting all these interviews again this year. And it's probably because of what they did with Jake Browning.
0: Yeah. I think that's part of it for sure. Uh- you go four and three down the stretch, you go to Jacksonville and you win and you stay in the hunt, you stay in the playoff race through week 17. Let's discuss the defense a little bit though, because Lou Anarumo, I think a lot of people thought he would coming into the year. This would be his last year and he would get a head coaching job. As of the time we record this, it doesn't sound like any teams are interested in interviewing him. Obviously the defense took a step back from a change standpoint. What changes could we see or potentially see as far as philosophy go for this team? Cause obviously they're young in the secondary and everybody's been focused on that element of things.
2: Let's dive into that topic coming up next. This episode of locked on Bengals is sponsored by Jace medical. We come to sports to escape from the crazy realities of life. But for a second, we're going to talk about preparing for those realities of life. Pharmacies are running low on antibiotics this season according to the FDA, and if you want to be prepared and avoid having long drives or potentially not being able to access antibiotics that you need, such as amoxicillin, well, Jace Medical will have you covered and can get by the supply chain issues that might be affecting those pharmacies. So, Jace Case is a pack of five different antibiotics to treat a long list of bacterial infections, including UTIs, respiratory infections, skin infections, among others, and any of those things can come up at any time. Visit jacemedical.com and complete your physician encounter. It will be reviewed by a board-certified physician, and then your medication will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. It's never been more important to be prepared than today. Go to jacemedical.com and use code LOCKEDON to get $20 off your order.
3: If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast.
0: That's what we call an A-plus tease by Jake Lisko. Look at that. Put it up there, and you just hit a grand slam. So same question, Joe. What what changes could we see on defense?
1: Well, I think we saw changes this year that they didn't want to have. They didn't, they, they didn't expect, and it's because – and we undersold probably the loss of the two veterans at safety. Probably. Well, right. Well, because I was – Last episode and this episode just now, I'm talking about the opportunity to get better, the opportunity to be different, mm-hmm. and the opportunity to be more versatile. They had all of that with the new safeties. Didn't mean they were better. And in fact, it probably limited them a little bit more than they would like to be. You remember the the good Anarumo defenses and the playoff run defenses were extremely multiple and variable. And they would show one thing pre-snap. And they you'd watch it on tape. It'd be beautiful the way they'd rotate into another coverage. And it just Mahomes would just crap his pants looking at it like, oh, no. And now I've got to hold the ball and run around. And they couldn't do that. They're very The, the data that I, I look at that shows how often they change coverages, pre-snap, post-snap, this year dropped, completely tanked. And it's because I think of the safeties. That, tep- that typically is a, a complete reflection of how well the safeties can pull that off, hold their water a little bit longer and not show it pre-snap, and then rotate right at the right timing, communicate it all between everyone. And instead what we saw was – a, a vanilla a defense that had to blitz because they weren't confident in getting pressure with just one guy in Trey Hendrickson, and then a lot of explosive plays on the back half, uh, largely from the safeties. But I, I do think the corners had their hand involved in that too. We had some up and down play from Chidobe Louzier and then D.J. Turner down the stretch. Uh, but largely, I think the biggest change will be getting back to what they did do when these guys become a little bit more seasoned on the, seasoned on the back half. And then adding talent to the defensive tackle room I think is desperately needed. I think it aired out the linebackers in a lot of ways. I think it made them – force them to bring a safety into the box a little bit more because they were so uh, weak against the run. And that happens as it starts with your nose tackle and defensive tackle rooms. And because it was such an issue – I mean, every time there was a big run, you could almost like look and squint your screen and be like, yeah, that's 68. And that's Tupou and Zach Carter. They're out there again. Like, how does this happen? And then, you know. Uh, until you get the starters back out there, B.J. Hill and D.J. and doing their thing. But yeah, I think it's personnel first and it's experience second.
2: From a, from a personnel change perspective or personnel philosophy shift, I, don't, I agree with you that I don't think the back half of the defense is, is what I'm thinking about there. And I agree that they want to get back to what they're doing. And you, you would hope that seasoning, experience, seeing things from the NFL speed, the NFL level for Dax Hill, and for Jordan Battle leads to good synergistic communication going forward. But DJ Reader, Josh Tupo, free agents, the need to rebuild that defensive tackle room. I wonder if they, and I don't expect changes here, but there is with that big shift with DJ Reader, an opportunity to look at what they've got with some youth besides Trey Hendrickson with, the the changes we're expecting a defensive tackle to kind of shift their approach to trench play. Not necessarily something I anticipate, but do you think that there's something they would be interested in there?
1: I think there's uh, both sides to it. I think they would love to get another big nose tackle that can hold his own in two gap and maybe take on two blockers and keep these linebackers free. Because I like Jermaine Pratt looks so much better when he's not touched by a center or a guard climbing up to the second level. Like, it's night and day. You want to look at previous years when he graded poorly on PFF, and I look at the defensive tackles, how they graded those years, and I'm like, yeah, well, yeah, that, that kind of coincides with each other. And I think it could happen again. So I think they would like a big nose tackle. Uh, but the big change would be getting back to an Ogunjobe penetrating style defensive tackle that they can mix in there. And that's I think that's a huge thing, number one, in terms of uh, personnel and type of players they draft. is is big there because they really haven't drafted that guy in so long. I mean, the Marcus Hardison and the Zach Carter defensive ends in college that you're going to kick inside and add 15 pounds to just has not worked. Uh, So I I think they need to tread different waters there and swim in different waters and figure out if if that's the key to their issues.
0: Yeah. I think defensive tackle is going, it's almost has to be a mix of, of veteran free agents along with, and it could be multiple along with drafting, and, and you leave that 18th, 18th pick open to it, but at the same time, you might not be able to get one in the first couple of rounds. We know how the draft can go, and so you need to be able to add to it in free agency. Uh, do, do you want to dive into to positional spending, Jake? That was on the, the outlook, so uh, up, up to you. What do you think, Jake?
2: Yeah, let's spend a couple minutes there just okay. to talk about where that suggests the Bengals are going to spend money. The Bengals are the only team in the NFL in 2024 to have a position group that there are $0 allocated to. The only team in the NFL to have any position group, and there's five position groups that over the cap, 10 position groups that over the cap does. The Bengals have $0 allocated to tight end. Obviously, they're going to spend money there. But Joe, when you look at the positional spending trends, which is something I know you like to do, what jumps out at you is an opportunity to either change the way they're spending money, to spend more money. Well, what, are the, what are the big takeaways from the early offseason view of positional spending?
1: Yeah, and that's how we got to the point last year where where it was, hey, they'll probably draft a defensive end highly because they have a lot of money tied up there, but they need to get better. And when you have those two as a combination, well, the only way to really get better without adding a lot of money there is to spend a draft pick. So if you look at that this year and heading into 2024, so some of these numbers will change. They are 26th in total offensive spending. For 2024, they are 17th in total defensive spending. Makes you feel like they could spend on the offensive side a little bit. Uh, But the tight end room, like you said, 32nd, they could spend a lot there and and they probably should and have to just to get it above water. Uh, But the wide receiver position before tagging T is 25th. If they tag them, it should put them around 11th. So they're still not crazy high in spending. And this is before other teams start spending there they could probably get another veteran at that spot. Maybe that's a, we talked about this as a, who's the fourth receiver. Is it Trenton Irwin? Is it Yoshi? Is it, who's it going to be next season? They could go get a Josh Reynolds or something like that and, and dangle T out there and see what happens. If you can get a trade before the, uh, before free agency, because let's think about it If you or before the, the draft, if you go out and don't spend on a wide receiver and then you find a trade partner for T well, now you're almost forced to have to spend a premium pickout receiver, even though I would expect it. You wouldn't want to be forced to do that. It's one of the things we try to avoid doing. But looking at the defensive end room, sixth highest paid defensive end room going into 2024, they just are banking on the development of Miles Murphy. And maybe this year we can get Joseph Osai off the mill carton and he can help out and do something. That would be awesome.
2: And critically, a bounce back from Sam Hubbard because he's a big chunk of that edge spending and he was dealing with injury this year and and, and that showed up a little bit.
1: He's another example you use where cash versus cap, the cap number is higher than the cash. So for like the Bengals, I don't think they'll even consider cutting him. I know some people have thought about it, but it's I've thought about it. Yeah, right. It's Cincinnati's own Sam Hubbard, and they use them for a lot of other promotional and fun things in the area. I just don't. I don't think they'd consider it when the cash they're paying him is just eight and some change, rather than the ten and a half cap hits. Uh, but at corner, they're twenty first. At safety, they're twenty second. I think they could add a veteran. I'm, if we're talking a guy that's a Nick Scott type signing, three to five million dollars at each position, I could see that in a lot of ways. They can't really spend picks there because they spent so many picks at both positions. They could use a little bit more veteran talent and money at those spots.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's the dilemma of do you add a safety or do you try to get another DT, right? Or another, put that money towards because I'm all about, I I think about defensive tackle similar to tight end where it's like, man, there's just there's nothing. And I know you have at least BJ Hill, but you also play multiple all the time. And so I, I think it's it's interesting and they have a they have a cap space and they do have certainly the the assets and resources to, to go after it. I, I think this is going to be a, an eventful offseason we can all agree there I think.
2: No doubt. And part of what will guide the offseason conversation is reevaluating self-scouting, what the Bengals have, how these young guys played are there cornerstones besides Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase on this roster for the next five years? We'll get into those topics with Joe as we update our evaluations in tomorrow's episode. Until then, thanks for listening to this episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. day, and have a good one.
3: If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast.